Blog Talk Radio. How would you like to get the inside scoop on the secret sauce of show business? Imagine being ahead of the pack when it comes to knowing how to land that part you crave in that film, play, or TV program. Listen to the Inside Acting Radio Show hosted by William Powell, the king of D.C. media, at blogtalkradio.com. Search Inside Acting. Good evening, dear actors, directors, producers, and screenwriters. Welcome to another sizzling episode of the Inside Acting Radio Show. Tonight, we've got a wonderful treat for you. David Fritzon, the multiple award-winning director of the 15-minute short Wireless, which stars Elliot Bales, Tim Torre, Tony Barber, and Nancy Soshin. You can find out more about this fabulous film at the handle Wireless Film on Facebook and at Wireless Movie on Instagram. The film has won the Austin Revolution Film Festival, the Clifton Film Celebration, the Real Independent Film Extravaganza, and the Richmond International Film Festival, among many, many others. Now, if you'd like to work with this dynamic filmmaker, you can email him at info at wirelessfilm.com so that I see that uh, David is on the switchboard, and I'm going to bring him on the air. Good evening, sir. Welcome to the program. It's going to take a second here, folks. Good evening. Good evening, William. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. All right, thanks for coming on the show. Of course, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I think you might be having a big announcement tonight. I know there's some big news around wireless, so uh, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You're absolutely right about a big announcement. Do you mind if I started off with a brief story before we go into said announcement? Sure. Cool. So nine years ago was where my filmmaking career really started, where I made my first short film in my little college apartment in Cambridge, Massachusetts. It was one of those things where I had to learn how to edit using YouTube tutorials and to the point that I remember having to look up how to make titles for my film just to make sure I could make it in time for this movie and make it for a deadline that we had for it. Uh, And so I always considered Cambridge and Boston and the whole New England area the birthplace of where I really started my filmmaking career. So with that said, I'm ecstatic to announce that Wireless is going to be making its New England premiere at Independent Film Festival Boston. The festival will be airing on on April 24th to May 1st, and uh, we are one of 20 narrative shorts that will be screening throughout the festival. And it will be screening at multiple theaters such as Somerville, Brattle, and the Coolers Corner Theaters, which are staples of the New England area. And uh, I just can't say how excited I am to be part of this festival. Man, that's great news. That sounds like you, you really came full circle there. It kind of is. Nine years later, here we are. Um, and we'll be screening alongside some incredible shorts and incredible features as well with some really well-known actors. In the past, we've had, they've had actors such as Steve Buscemi, Bo Burnham, uh, Fred Armisen, a whole plethora of folks that starred in different movies or have been featured as guests at this festival. Um, and so we're just very excited to be part of it and being on the big screen with them as well. 
Man, that's great. That's great. And uh, I know that, uh, that I think that's the furthest north uh, any of your uh, screenings have been. I think you've had some uh, screenings in Pennsylvania. That's correct. Yeah, we uh, screened at uh, Lancaster International Film Festival um, about six months ago. Wonderful festival. Highly recommend them. But that's about as far as north as we've gone. We've gone as far down south as Texas, and so we're going all the way up to New England. So for those listening from New England and the Boston, greater Boston area, we'd love to have you there. Again, you can check us out on iffboston.org or check out more information, as William mentioned, on our Facebook handle, Wireless Film. That's awesome. So, David, you know, with all these festivals, I mean, to, to, to track them, I, I'm imagining you must use like a spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a big uh, Apple person, so I have an iPhone, iPad, you know, MacBook, all that. And it's nice that the Notes application just syncs with everything because I have an entire folder meant for wireless. And there's one section that we have just meant for keeping track of festivals we've been accepted at, festivals that we've done well at. Um, I think that's the only way we can keep track of it and having multiple devices with the same information. So I add it on one and it shows up on the other. Oh, nice, nice. As far as editing, I have to ask you, Adobe or Final Cut? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I was trained on Final Cut Pro 7 in college, and that's what I used actually for the first couple of projects. But they had made a huge change in their interface around 2011. And after that, uh, for me, it's been personally, it's been Adobe Premiere the whole way. Yeah. That's an awesome, awesome product along with um, After Effects as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it helps that they all integrate together with Photoshop and all the other Adobe products, which actually during the film festival circuit, it's great to just have them all work together because I can take elements from say laurels for a film festival work on them in Photoshop, drop them into Adobe Premiere, and then we have a new trailer cut together. <laughs> nice. Okay, so I want to go back to wireless. we got to talk about the not only the pre-production process, but also the inspiration. Certainly. Certainly. Um, where exactly would you like to start? Anything specific? Well, I mean, just going back through, uh, you know, what inspired it, and then uh, – on through the uh, the audition process and and what you needed to do to get it uh, to get it made. Certainly. So there was a period in between my mid twenties or so where I didn't really believe in myself as a filmmaker. I didn't think that it was a viable career. I didn't think I could do it full time. And I thought to myself, well, I need to have something more steady to make money while I try to make videos and short films and music videos, whatever I wanted to do. So I, I focused on sales because, well, I like talking to people. And secondly, I also love technology. So I ended up landing a job at a cell phone store. So I started working there for a couple of years. And what I didn't realize was that every single time somebody walked into the store, they would always have their own story to tell. Even if it was just simply they didn't know how to charge their phone, there would always be, always be some kind of background to them, something new, something interesting that made every single person so different and unique. And so the more I had these situations, the more I thought to myself, I don't think other audiences realize that there's a story to be said here. And the kind of story that's told in wireless is not based on a particular person or you know customer that had come into the store. 
but it is based on the type of experience that I had had multiple times with different customers. And I believe the, the kind of story that is told in wireless where, you know, the, the protagonist has a life changing event and he comes to the store looking for some closure and for some help when he doesn't know much about the technology of how to use a smartphone. I mean, that was something that happened, you know, some, something that happened, I'd say four times in the three years I worked there. And, and when you see the film, you'll understand the significance of that kind of event that's told. So it happened four separate times. And again, there's no reason for me to discuss the specifics of those times because I'd want to respect the privacy of those people. But it did inspire a different kind of story with a new character and a new you know, sort of setting that we wanted to have. And so you, there's always that famous saying, as corny as it is, you write what you know. Well, I wrote what I knew. And so that's how we really, the story came to fruition. Um, as far as the audition process, we, our biggest challenge before we even did auditions was finding a cell phone store to film in, which by the end of the day, our producer was able to find a, uh, believe it or not, a computer repair store that we dressed up as a cell phone store every single night for three nights in a row. Take yeah. down all the laptops, the computers, everything you saw in the kiosks and desks, all hidden and tucked away underneath in cabinets, and we replaced them all with cell phones that we borrowed from friends and family and created a whole fake store called Skyline Wireless. So we had posters, bagged accessories, and those things were up for between the hours of 9 p.m. to 4 a.m. while the store was closed and we could film. So we're very grateful to have that opportunity, but that was, I think, our biggest challenge in pre-production was finding that. Yeah, yeah, you know, Elliot Bales, uh, I know you loved him from the start and I know that he's he's actually in a play right now at uh Arena Stage. And so talk about Elliot and, and what he brought to the project. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. He is he actually is in the middle of rehearsal at uh Arena Stage right now. It's very exciting. It's always, I always love seeing the kind of work he does in theater because that's part of why I wanted to cast him as Elliot. Um I'd come from a theater background because I had acted as a kid on stage for years and then transitioned to directing theater and then finally transitioned by the end of my college career to directing film. And so a lot of my directing tends to cater towards theater actors. And I will never forget the audition process with Elliot because my memory serves me correctly. He was actually the first one out of 20 people to respond to the ad that we posted for this audition. And I remember seeing his headshot and thinking, this, this, could be, this could be James. This could be our lead. And what I'll never forget, though, is he was, I think, the third or fourth person to audition. And he read one of the most intense scenes that we had for the film. And the second he started reading, I remember looking up from the script and thinking to myself, this is exactly how I pictured it, the way it was delivered, the way it was just projected to me, exactly how I pictured it when writing. And I knew almost immediately, this is the guy. This is the guy I want to work with. Um, and, and his process was so great because he has a, a way of really just not listening to his character, but understanding the motivations behind his character and understanding what his character has gone through for the last, I'd say, as far back as 40 years. And yeah. having that kind of background and knowledge of his character allowed him to do things that I don't think a lot of actors could do, such as... Well, first off, if you've met Elliot in person, he has a very deep, jovial voice, whereas yeah, his voice yeah. in wireless is very tired, scratchy, raspy, 
just very, you know, worn over time. He trained right, himself right. to make that voice happen that he's almost indistinguishable. And and mm-hmm. it's really incredible to watch him disappear into that role and really transform into someone as James. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, he's a very jovial guy in person. I, I've worked with him. So talk about the chemistry between Elliot Bales and uh, Tim Torrey. I was fortunate enough to have the two of them. I didn't realize it until after I'd cast them, but the two of them had actually worked together in theater before. So there was already a good relationship between the two of them. And what was interesting is that we talked about how Elliot wrapped himself up into the character. Well, Tim did the exact same thing, too. He really wanted to understand the character behind it so much that he actually was the one that was pushing for wireless to be made and wanted to learn so much about him to ensure that he was able to get the part. Um, Tim also had a lot of competition. There were, I believe, 15 other people that auditioned for the role of Derek, and it was a tough call. But when we looked at the audition tapes again, we kept playing Tim's over and over again and realized not only would the chemistry work well with Elliot, but that again, I had that moment where I thought, this is Derek. This is who I pictured it to be. So I think what made it really important, what was really important for the two of them is just to understand their own character's background. So I went as far as taking Tim aside and handing him a three-page essay explaining not just his background, but also the recent breakup that his character had with his girlfriend. And while that might seem like a minor detail, it's only mentioned briefly in the film, it was able to get him into a mindset of how that character would act in these times of vulnerability in the movie. And so when the two of them have those moments where they're able to be vulnerable, where they're able to really let their characters open up in front of them, I think that's what really added so much to their chemistry, to work back and forth together. Hmm. Yeah, that's really deep. But that's because, you know, a lot of actors, they'll have their own backstory. But that's interesting that basically you, you sat there and wrote a backstory for Elliot. That's interesting. Yep. And for Tim as well. And one of my favorite instances, if you don't mind me sharing a, a brief anecdote here, is there was uh-huh. one moment where his, his ex-girlfriend's name and the name is never brought up in the movie. This is, again, just to just to help build character. The name hmm. was Emma. And so there'd be moments where, again, we were filming, you know, really late hours. So you can imagine, you know, pushing actors at two, three in the morning, like you start to get worn out. And I remember there was a moment where Tim was, was trying really hard to get this one scene down and we stopped everything to, you know, put the cameras on hold. And I walked up to him, looked him straight in the eye and said, Emma, and sat back down. And he thought about it. And I'm, pretty sure that that next take he did was the one that actually made the final cut. But what killed wow. me was we were driving, we were driving home and uh, a crew member was, was driving the car and sitting in silence and finally goes, can I ask you something? I said, yeah, of course. And he goes, why is it that you just walked up to Tim and he did so much better after you just said the word Emma <laughs> and I had to explain the whole process to him, but it worked very well. So yeah, it, it's little things like that that you don't expect that can really trigger an act to really get into their element. Yeah. So now, David, I have a, look like we have a caller here. We might have a question. Uh, they might just be listening. Uh, so this question is yeah. 593. So 593, I'm going to bring you on the air. If you have a question, that's okay. If you don't, you can just continue listening. 
So let's see. 593, you're on the air. Do you have a question? Going, going, gone. Okay, I guess they were just listening. That's okay. Okay, so, you know, let's get into, let's take a right turn into uh, directing. So a couple of questions that that pop in my head. One of them is, um, as a director, how do you deal with all all the decisions you have to make? I mean, you have to make these lightning fast decisions. So how do you deal with that? That's a good question. Um, there's there's definitely times too where in any film I, I don't really think it matters how much of a budget you have if it's you know twenty bucks or it's a million or more yeah things are going to go wrong on set hands down uh-huh. and there are going to be times too to make decisions where there are ways you picture certain things and you have to realize that it's not going to look exactly the way you picture but how are you going to make that work right um, I think one of the toughest calls I had to make was there was a, you know, a bulk of the film is just dialogue between Tim Torrey and Elliot Bales going back and forth. And there was a moment where I had to really consider options of if I wanted to get better performances or did I want to get cooler looking camera angles. If I took the second option, we may lose some you know, better takes. We may lose moments where their performances start to warm up and become better. And lastly, we ran into moments where we're just worried about running out of time if we would have to set up new shots. And so when it comes to directing and making those decisions, I have to just, I think the most important thing is not only making, you know, thinking of the experience that I've had in the past, but also ensuring too, that I have a really reliable and happy crew on set. And I know that might seem like I'm steering off in a different direction, but, but bear with me here because I've noticed in a lot of filmmaking aspects and a lot of times I've been on film sets, you have a crew that works well together producers, production assistants, all, all over the spectrum. If they work well together and everyone's happy on set, you're going to have a better product. You're going to have people that are willing to give new ideas. And so there were moments where I was unsure if we were going to be able to pull off timing for the next scene, so I would ask our first AD because I trusted them. If there was a moment where I was nervous about the sound not working out or the sound not coming out the way, I would double-check with the sound guy that we had. They were all wonderful people to work with. So I think the decisions as a director, yes, they do fall on me, but at the same time, it helps immensely to have a great crew around you that are talented and that really work well together. And that helps make the decisions easier when you can depend on them. Talk about how you assembled your crew. How I assemble my crew. It's a great question. So part of why I hesitated in making wireless was I was just so terrified to call up cell phone stores and ask if we could film there. I didn't really know the process. So the first person I called was a company called Simpatico. Uh, they're located in uh, Bel Air, Maryland. They are a three-person crew, which doesn't seem like a lot, but they are a wonderful group, and I highly recommend them. Uh, you can check them out at simpatico.media. But there are three guys, one of them being a producer, and then two cinematographers. But these two cinematographers knew a lot about filmmaking. They were able to light a scene. They were able to compose the scene very easily. They were also able just to help with pre-production in general. And then our producer was able to take all this, who is our, the third member of Simpatico, and he was able to assemble a crew with people that he already trusted. Because this was my first budgeted short film in the area, and I needed some a crew that could be trusted and a crew that worked well together. So with his help, we were able to assemble a crew that 
expanded out to, I think, a total of about, I'd say about 12 people before we talk about cast included. And it's crazy to think that it takes that many people just to film two guys talking in a cell phone store. But yeah. it absolutely takes an army to do that. Mm. Yeah. And uh, without digging too deep, um, talk a little bit about how you were able to fund all this. I was able to fund all this. Believe it or not, the film was self-funded. It was uh, years of saving up and uh, also just asking for, you know, saving up my commission checks from sales and putting it aside. <laughs> and I had this – it was actually meant for an entirely different reason. It was meant for um, – it was a certain amount of money that was meant for me moving to Los Angeles because I kept okay. convincing myself I need to go to Los Angeles to make movies. There was this mentality that I had to go. And so I had a certain amount set up. Things with sales started to take south, and I realized that I didn't want to do sales anymore. And it suddenly hit me that if I went to Los Angeles, I'd be in a city that already has tons of people that want to start making films. And all that money would just go to me getting an apartment and just living there. But it suddenly hit me of what if we just took a step back and found some people that can make a film here, and we use that, those funds instead on making this film that I had written years ago, because frankly, the, the move, the, the screenplay was finished back in 2015. And it took us you know, two years for me to build up the courage to just say, I'm taking all this money I saved up and it's going right into this guy. So that's actually where the funding came from. That's amazing. That's amazing. So I want to um, kind of take a left turn and, and kind of drift into some of the uh, the films that you've studied over the years, uh, some of the films that you've learned from. Some of the films I've learned from. I think a good one to start with, when it, I realized that I wanted to start working in film or start making films, was, believe it or not, uh, Kevin Smith, who's the director of Clerks, Dogma, uh-huh. Chasing Amy. He has this, you know, while he's not the most you know, fan, I don't know if fancy is the right word, but he's not, you know, he's, he's, he's he, has, you know, he can be very, he, <laughs> right, right. He's not very serious. He's very crude, uh, lots of yeah. jokes, but at the same time, what, yeah. what compelled me to, to watch his films was the fact that he spent so much time on dialogue. He spent so much right. time on just people's relationships and the way that they would interact with others. And, I was just blown away by it, especially those three, Clerks, Chasing Amy, and Dogma, because right. it would be either outlandish circumstances such as, you know, angels falling from the sky or just two guys talking in a, in a store, just complaining about their jobs. And yet you can right. pull so much from these characters just from their dialogue. And again, not the most elaborate filmmaker you'll ever meet. He's no Christopher Nolan, but he's a guy that knows how to just understand dialogue. And so it started from there, and the more I got into dialogue, the more I wanted to learn about the technical aspects, which, coincidentally, Christopher Nolan was another inspiration. It was able, I, was able, I felt like I was taking an upgrade in watching his, his films, such as Memento especially, where he was able right. to take a traditional story and mix it up into different pieces and different time zones and different time frames just to be able to tell a story over the, the time the audience is watching it. And I was just fascinated by that concept. And so those are really the two big ones that had me start as a filmmaker. Um, now these days, I mean, I'd say I'm always blown away by anything Joel and Ethan Cohen do. 
Um, I'm really excited for um, some newer filmmakers out there. Uh, today we just had the premiere of the new trailer for the Joker movie starring Joaquin Phoenix. He's an actor I yeah. highly admire, and I, I could not be more excited for that. And um, then, of course, we also have uh, Jordan Peele just, I mean, blowing things up right now and changing the industry with films like Get Out and Us, uh, which was fantastic as well. So there's so much inspiration to be collected just from those guys and, and, and plenty of other directors out there, too. Yeah, Smith is, is funny. I mean, his, his plays kind of put me in mind. I'm mean, sorry, his movies put me in mind of plays. He's the only one I can know, only director I know who can make an argument over Star Wars. That's hilarious. <laughs> He's a funny guy. <laughs> That's true. Yep. Yep. Okay, so what I want to do now is talk about, there's another film you've got out there with uh, the great Chad Eric Smith called uh, B-E-N. So talk about that. How's that one doing? Ben is doing fantastic. Um, it is actually it came it, it came about as part of the uh, DC 48 hour film project, where you literally have 48 hours to make a short film. So this is a much different approach than what we had with wireless, and this was something that we had hardly any money tied to, but it was just a exercise to see how we would do in that kind of time crunch. And I can I have to emphasize, you really only have 48 hours because the only thing you know before you make this film is what kind of genre it is. You show up to a bar in DC at 7.30 PM on a Friday and they hand you a card that has a line of dialogue that has to be in it, a prop that has to be in it, and a certain character with a profession that has to be in it. So for example, for that one, that had to, we had a professor Joe Jones, who was a professor. So, they did these rules to prevent anyone from cheating or writing ahead of time. You had to include these things in the movie or else you were disqualified. Once they gave you that card, you were off to the races and you had exactly two days to make it because you had to show up at that same bar in DC at 7:30 PM on a Sunday with a physical flash drive of the movie, not uploading it to YouTube, not, you know, sending an email. They wanted the physical thing. And it was just such an intense process because I had met Chad at a film festival wireless that screened at while his uh, short film rumination screened. And he was just a person I knew I wanted to work with, but I didn't know the right opportunity to work with him. The same thing happened with a bunch of crew members on Ben. I wanted to work with them. I just didn't know when the right time was. I mean, what better time would it be than, than going, um, what better time would it be than going, what was it? than doing it in 48 hours and seeing how they do under uh -huh. pressure like that. And these yeah. are folks after that that I, I can't wait to work with again. And actually, we're planning a, kind of a secret project that we're hoping to launch in June, um, working with a, a whole <laughs> bunch of them. So it's very exciting stuff. Nice, nice. What do you think about uh, Jordan Peele's new movie? Oh, Us? Yeah. Oh, I, I, think, it's, I think it's incredible. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I knew it was going to be great because I was blown away by Get Out. But here we have a director that started off, you know, well, not started off, but became really famous by doing just slapstick comedy. And now he's creating these horror films that give you this interesting feeling sense of you're just constantly nervous and shaken the entire time, just terrified of what's going to happen next to these characters. And as you think it can't get any scarier, or just more dreadful, a joke comes in. And the whole <laughs> audience is laughing. And it's not 
And it's not the traditional kind of joke that happens in horror where it's almost campy and, you know, cheesy. It's a joke that's genuinely funny. And so the audience laughs and you can hear the audience almost not necessarily groan, but just kind of brace themselves going, okay, joke's over. We're, we're getting back into this, back into that sense mm. of scariness. Um, so I really admire him as a director because he had once said in an interview that he loved making people laugh, but he loved making people have that moment where they're just, they have their, you know, their hands gripped to the arms of their chairs and they're just held back and just going, oh, okay, okay. He enjoyed that more. So <laughs> why not do both? If he has the ability to, why not do both? So I, I was just blown away at not only his ability as a director to make people laugh and then make them terrified the next second, but also the amount of symbolism and the amount of layers that were in that movie. If you just go on YouTube and look up us right now, you're going to find a ton of fan theories left and right. And the movie's been out for what, William? A week and a half? Yeah, a week. weeks tops? Yeah, that's it. And so it's, I, I think it's going to make quite an impact uh, on horror and just cinema for some time. So I'm, I'm very excited for it. I, was, I, I loved it. Awesome. Okay, so for you, any plans to do a feature? Any plans to do a feature? That's a good question. Uh, there is a short film that I've been writing for the last year that I'm, I'm looking to use and potentially screen at a few festivals, but use it more as means of funding to turn it into a feature film. So it's, it's a little too early, unfortunately, to, to talk more about it. But yeah, there, I think there's absolutely plans for a feature because as I'm going through the film festival circuit, the first film festival I was ever involved in was because a music video of mine got into one back in 2013. And I watched a bunch of short films during the film fest and thought, you know what, I, I want to try that. I, I think I want to do that. And so years later, here we are with wireless. And as I watched these short films at different festivals, I started to see all these features too. And it's so fascinating to me how we have all these people that are able to self-fund or find people to help them fund these films and make such great stories that are 90 minutes long under a certain budget. And having those kind of constraints and pressure put on them is really an accomplishment I'd love to try next. So I'm walking out of these film festivals these days going, you know, I think I want to, I think I want to do a feature. So I'd say it's coming for sure. Uh, it's a little too early to talk about details, but, but you can definitely expect one in the near future. Okay. So we're about to wrap up. So any encouraging words for filmmakers? Any encouraging words for filmmakers? Um, I would say there's a lot of people, a good chunk of years that in my career, in my life, I had moments where I thought to myself, you know, I can make this film, but I really need this first. I need to get this camera. I need to get this thing to get to make this work first. You, everyone hears about people making short films on their iPhones these days, or even feature films on their iPhones. I would just encourage people that if you have an idea, just start making it. Doesn't it's, It might look good. It might not look good. It might be a good story. It might be a bad one. But at least you can say that you've got something under your belt that you've made. And the more you're creating content, the better your stuff is going to turn out to be over time because you have those experiences. I would, I would definitely just encourage you just to, again, if you don't think you have the funds yet, doesn't matter. Start writing. Somebody's going to be able to help you. If you don't think, um, you know, your camera's good enough, shoot it anyway. See what happens. We'll find, you know, at least people will see the idea that you're trying to get across. Because if you have the idea harnessed, 
and you're able to show the idea to others, and people believe in you, well, the way you envisioned it is going to come eventually. You just got to start making it. Very, very good words, David. So, David, I really enjoyed this conversation. Man, I look forward to seeing your future works. Thank you very much, William. I really appreciate the time, and uh, thanks so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. Okay, man, you have a great night. All right, you do the same. Take care now. Okay, bye. All right, folks, remember, as always, to do something for your career every single day, and always break legs. Have a great night. Under the dark you pacify me Hold my breath Take me down, I won't fight Beat on my heart, you drum inside me Somewhere my death Makes the sound no one can find I never met anyone like you Danger 